Hi, my name is Paul and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe that the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, restoredtemecula.church, and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. I'm excited about uh, this morning. I feel like, gosh, I feel like God wants to do things a little bit off the page, which always gets me, I feel two emotions with that. I feel a sense of like excitement, like, oh man, what's he gonna do? And I also feel this responsibility of like, I don't wanna get in the way. I have some stuff prepared. Let me start my timer. I have some stuff prepared. I feel like uh, God led me in prep for this week, but I feel like there's more. And I feel like it's going to require a certain amount of trust and a certain amount of faith for all of us to receive what God has for us this morning. So if I can encourage you with one thing, uh, I'm going to get into this in a little bit, but there really is opposition to you receiving all that God has for you. Uh, There are very real spiritual forces that want to keep you from receiving all of the goodness, the grace, the mercy, the love that God has for you, not just generally, but personally and and, and right now, in this moment, this morning for you. So uh, I want to encourage you, do whatever you got to do to not miss the voice of the Spirit of God in the way that he wants to work with us this morning. Um, we're going to continue on in our priesthood series. We've been doing this for months now. Uh, and the, the, the heart behind this series is all about restoring our identity as priests, as a priesthood, as a collective of priests, of people who are orienting their life around ministering to God, around, around bringing him offerings and sacrificing for him and, and communicating with action and word and deed and all of it, communicating love, admiration, appreciation, Worship, ascribing ultimate worth to him. It's, it's, it's what it means to be a Christian. It's someone who worships God because of who he is and because of what he's done. A life oriented around ministering to God, blessing him just because he's worthy. And we spent some time kind of talking about that a little bit, and then we felt like God was shifting us into kind of a specialized element of priesthood, and that's the, around the concept of beholding him. That we give our attention to a lot of things in life. We, we, we pay attention. It's costly. We pay attention to all sorts of things. And we've been, we've been, we've been talking about this concept that the Apostle Paul lays out in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I want to read it to you again. This will be review for most of you in the room. But we've been kind of camping out in this verse for months now because there's a lot of important stuff here for us. There's a lot of implications here. But let me read this to you. You've heard it, you've heard it before. Paul writes this, he says, and we all, corporate, collective, communal, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, giving him our attention, looking at him, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit of God is at work to help you, enable you, empower you to actually behold God, to not be distracted to put away the things that would distract you and actually be able to hone your attention onto God. And as you do that, you will become more like him. 
You become like what you behold. It's like this is Paul's discipleship strategy. We've been journeying with this. Whatever you give your attention to forms you into its likeness. Um, I heard a pastor say this, something to this effect. He said, Christianity is not about trying harder. It's about beholding him more. Like, hear me. If you trying hard, effort's not bad. It's really great. <clears throat> the gospel's not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning, right? Effort's not a bad thing. But if you're putting more effort into doing things for God than you are beholding him, you are drifting, friend. And I, I, I see that in my life sometimes, and I just don't want it because it keeps me from seeing him clearly, and it keeps me from all the benefits of kingdom life. So I just, again, I, wanna, I know we've been saying this for months now, but I'm, I'm just not going to stop because <laughs> I feel like God's not on, he's not, he's not like, he hasn't taken us away from this yet. He wants us to grow in beholding him, in giving him our attention and seeing him clearly, okay? <clears throat> uh, so we've covered a bunch of different things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice that on my notes because I want to save time. We've talked about beholding God in all these different areas of life right now. I'm going to continue on from last week. Uh, last week, uh, we, started, we were talking about beholding God in Jesus. That when you look at Jesus, when you behold Jesus, you behold God. And we've been going through a, a passage in Colossians chapter 1, this, this incredible poem about the supremacy of Jesus. It's, it's like a poem of praise about the, the glory and the supremacy of Jesus. And it starts with this phrase. It says that he is the image of the invisible God. In other words, when you behold Jesus, you behold God. So it's like, oh, what, what, what better place for us to turn to in the scriptures than that epic poem in Colossians 1 that talks about, that's rooted in beholding God in all of his glory through Christ. And so we're going to pick back up on what we started last week. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your Bible. I want you to flip to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're just going to dive in because I, I feel like, I feel like, uh, God's with us and he has something for us special this morning. Colossians chapter one. We're gonna read verses 15 through 20 and then we're gonna hone in on one portion of it. If you don't have a Bible, no sweat. We'll have the words up here for you. I'm gonna pray and I want you to join me in prayer, okay? So I want you to attach your heart to anything that I pray that you're in agreement with, okay? That word amen is like let it be so. All right, so as I pray, don't let it just be me praying over us, although that's important. I want you to join me right now. I want you to engage with me. To, I want you to engage with God with me. So as I pray, anything that you want to attach your amen to at a heart level, do that as we engage with God and his spirit among us. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we desire you. Help us to behold Jesus. Help us to see him. Help this morning not just be tradition, as in kind of rhythms that we give ourselves over to for a certain span of time. Help, help this morning not to just be kind of obligation. I'm kind of envious of the people of God from ages ago where they had the temple, they had this space that was like consecrated and when they walked in, they're like, oh, this is, God's here. Lord, you're here. Not because this is a school, 
but because we're here and you're in us. You're in us. And you desire to manifest yourself through us. And so right now, Holy Spirit, I, I just pray that you would increase our awareness of your presence, that you'd lift the veil that so easily kind of falls over our hearts and minds so that we might see you more clearly in all of your glory and that we'd be transformed more and more into your likeness. Help us, I pray. We love you, Jesus. And all your people said, amen. Amen. All right, Colossians chapter one. I'm gonna read verses 15 through 20. This is so, so beautiful. It says this, he, the he, there's Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. We talked about that last week. Verse 16, for everything, underline everything, was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, underline all things, have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and all things, and all things hold, sorry, and by him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. I love that language. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All right, what I want to do is I want to hone in on verse 16 and 17 this morning, okay? That's where we're going to stay for our entire time. And in verse 16, it's kind of scattered throughout. We're going to break it down. I'll get into the thrones and the dominions and all that stuff in a second. But it says that everything was created by him, Jesus, through him, and for him, okay? Think about that for a second. Um. God is creator, Jesus is creator, all things, by him, through him, for him. What sorts of things in your life cause you to experience awe and wonder? Awe and wonder. Maybe some of you, like, it's happened recently, maybe it hasn't, what are some things for you? Cause you to just be like, wow. Sunsets, I heard, I heard a couple, nature, absolutely. Perfect harmony, love it. Newborn baby. Newborn baby. You, guys are, you guys are reading out of my notes. So uh, it was really great. This week, a bunch of guys in the church went camping. I got to join them for a couple of days. It was a really, really great time, minus the mosquitoes, okay? It was really, really wonderful. We were up near Mammoth. It was glorious. The view at the campsite. I mean, you just see mountains everywhere with the snow, and like it was... I think Gabe mentioned nature. It's like, I, that does, it does something to me. Being in nature, it just helps me put things into perspective, okay? God is creator. I'm in his creation. It's, it's fabulous. One of the evenings, not evenings, one of the nights, we eat together, which your boy Austin, he's goodness. I don't even know if he's here, but he cooked for us in ways that were just spectacular. But uh, we finished dinner, kind of clean up. And one of the evenings, we're all kind of sitting around the campfire, as you do when you're camping. But then the stars came out. And like, wherever there's light pollution, you just kind of see a handful, and it's like, oh, cool, yeah, there's stars. 
But when you can get into a space where the light pollution is very minimal, the sky comes alive. Like the heavens come alive and you just see countless stars. And guys, it was actually really cool. A handful of guys start bringing out their apps. They have like the constellation apps and they're doing the whole thing. And you can see like, which we were debating, is that Venus or that Mars? And we figured out that, what was it? It was Venus. I don't know. <clears throat> it, was, it was really, really wonderful. I mean, we're literally going like, we're seeing satellites go across. You can start to see like the, the cloudy element of like the Milky Way, you know? It was, it was beautiful. It was incredible. And I'm just thinking like, oh my gosh, so vast. Um, I forget the name of it, but there's a star, like the closest star to us in the galaxy. Does anybody know how far away it is? If you know this, it would be a massive trivia win. Okay, the closest star to us amongst countless stars, okay? The closest star is 5.88 trillion, with a T, miles away. It's like, man, I wonder if we could ever get there. So I did a little bit of dorky research. So the fastest speed that a, a, a spacecraft has ever been clocked at, any guesses? It's way more than I thought it would be. Okay, fastest speed any spacecraft has ever traveled is 364,000 miles per hour. That's insane. Okay? So that's the fastest we've ever gone in space. So if we were to just take that speed to get to the closest star, 7,815 years to get there. And that's just the closest one amongst And you just, I'm just like, wow. And this might sound so dorky and so silly to you. You're like, oh, yeah, cool, the stars. Dude, go look. Go look. And I remember just thinking, whenever I'm in that space and I can see it, not just like, yeah, I know about stars and I've seen the sky before and I've seen telescopic pictures, but, but when you're standing there, and you're standing there with brothers, and you're all just kind of like, wow, awe, and wonder. I'm so small. And what's cool is, like, I'm nowhere near the first person to feel that way. The psalmist in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, check this out. Thousands of years ago. When I observe your heavens talking about the night sky. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, underline fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. In other words, why do you even give a rip about something as small as me? In this vast galaxy, universe, I'm so small, and yet the creator of all this stuff cares about me? It says something as vast as the universe is the work of his fingers. Hold your hand out in front of you like this. Everybody, both hands. 
Okay, now I want you to take your thumb and I want you to put your fingers against your thumb on this hand and do the exact same thing on that hand. I want you to put them together and I want them to bring them in and look at them. Just keep it there. The universe and everything in it, the work of his fingers. Get the picture. Great job. But like, I know that's silly. The work of his fingers, man. Like, if nothing else, just consider the scale. Okay, God's a creative creator. He's an artist. Think about the size of his canvas. Something as vast as the universe the, and everything in it, the work of his fingers. Everything was created by him, Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. What else causes you awe and wonder? Something that, uh, that gets me fairly regular, a, a close friend of mine, um, he, he makes music for a living. He sent, me, he sent me this song, I think it was yesterday, and it just, I was undone. I just, I'm like, oh God, I showed it to my wife. I'm like, babe, you gotta hear this song. And I like, I couldn't hold back tears. It moved me so deeply. Like, God created sound. You know what sound is? It's basically vibration, okay? So when vibration happens, it like kind of starts a chain reaction of the molecules around the environment, and it starts to spread. That, vi- that vibration starts to spread. That's what sound is. It's vibrations hitting your ears. Music is like, it's putting those vibrations in order with intentionality, and next thing you know, you have a song. Anybody in the room, I know you, this is a stupid question, but like when music moves you in such a deep level that you, like, it makes you move, it makes you dance. We had some of the music playing earlier and I was looking around, yeah, get it, girl. It was like, it was like, you, you can't help but like get a head bob going. Or in my case yesterday, I got a lump in my throat that was beyond my control because of the way that someone made in the image of God with intentionality ordered the vibrations of the air. Oh, and wonder, like, how do you even fathom something like that? Everything was created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. And I think the reason why, I told you that song, the reason why that song, I think, affected me so much is it really, it caused me to reflect on life in a way that I wasn't in that moment that is so important for me to reflect on. It was like massive, guys. You ever consider life? God's the author of it. Like, he can create life. You ever considered like just the beauty of his design? I was there, I was present for the birth of both of my children. It was a miracle. Like 
Ladies, your biology is astounding. It's, it's spectacular. I mean, in your biology, you have the ability to birth new life. Have you ever stopped to consider how incredible that is? In your biology is the, the potential to birth new life, and not just to birth new life, but to nurse it. And not just to nurse it, but to nurture it. And not just to, to, to nurture it, but to protect it and to care for it. Like, everything that you would need. I like geeked out hard on stuff, just reflecting on the goodness and the glory and the power, the greatness of God. There's 37 trillion cells in the average human body. These little power plants, like, Wow, awe, wonder at the hands of a creator. And that creator isn't just this arbitrary, distant divine being. It's Jesus. Everything was created by him, through him, and for him. I just wanted to riff on the reality that God makes spectacular things. And there's about a, there's, I don't know, 100 or something of you, right? I'm staring at you. He made you. And all of your intricacies and your, your personality and your makeup and your abilities and your gifts and your talents, and he makes spectacular things. Some of you need to hear this morning, like, he didn't make you an accident. You're not an accident. Will you do me a favor? Will you stop comparing yourself to other people? You're one of a kind, and so are they. God makes spectacular things. I think it would do us really, really, really well to pause and reflect on the greatness of God that's all around us all the time. Beholding, right? The scripture says everything was created by, through, and for Jesus. Listen to me, there's nobody like Jesus. There's nobody like, there's no other human being that's ever existed that can even come even close to his glory and his greatness. Consider the work of his fingers. All right. It also talks about in this passage the visible and the invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. What's he talking about there? Is he, talk, is he getting political? He's talking about nation states. No, what's happening here is he's referring to the unseen realm. All right, there is a realm that you cannot see explicitly with the naked eye, okay? Now, most scholars, I read a bunch on just that verse, that portion of that verse. Thrones, dominions, rulers or authorities. And the vast majority, I'm talking like, like 99 out of 100 scholars all agree that what Paul's doing there is he's referencing four class, or sorry, four classes of angelic beings. It's gonna get real weird here. <laughs> Angels, right? Messengers, if you will. 
different than humans, but created by God, nonetheless. Four classes of angelic beings, okay? Now, why would he do that? Context is really important. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here because my clock is ticking. But the context here is really important because uh, this is a letter written to the Colossians. They lived in a, in a, in a city called Colossae, right? And there was a false teaching that was infiltrating the church there. And that false teaching was essentially leading them to worship angels. All right? So Paul's, he's basically saying all the angelic beings, every class of them, they're created. Jesus is supreme. Right? So that's what he's doing here. Now let me read you a quote from one scholar. He says this, quote, with special reference to the false teaching at Colossae, Paul stresses that even the spiritual powers and authorities, whether good or bad, are all subject to Christ as creator. Four classes are listed, thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities. From the highest to the lowest, all were created in him, through him, and for him. End quote. Now, did you notice that he said... um, basically referring to those angelic beings, he he said either the good or the bad. Uh, I kind of have to talk about this. So you guys know Satan was an angel, right? Created by God. Satan was an angel. And if you're familiar with Satan's story, what happens is, I'm gonna sum it up for you. What happens is, is that in his pride, Satan desired to be God instead of God's servant. So he... He's operating in pride. He desires to be God. He desires to play that role, right, instead of the role that God created, his purpose that God created him for. <clears throat> it's basically the original, original sin, right? It's the, it's the first sin. And then what happens is, is like Satan's cast out of heaven, right? And then from there, what does he do? He tempts Adam and Eve with the very same thing. You, you can play the role of God too. And he dupes them, they give in to the temptation, they do, and you guys know how the story goes. What's crazy is that it didn't stop with Adam and Eve. Satan's been tempting all of mankind with the same thing that he gave himself over to, pride, for all of history. Every single one of us, right? Now, if you're unfamiliar, I think we all kind of know what pride is, but it might be helpful to put some help, like some specific language on what pride is. What pride is at its kind of core element, its core foundation, is it's an elevated view of the self. It's, I know best, or I am best. An elevated view of the self. And what pride is, is essentially it's the root of all sin. So every other sin stems from that prideful elevation of self. I choose me over you, or I choose me over you, or... And here's the thing about pride. It it, it is wicked. I mean, it's straight up evil. And the reason it's evil is because it's a betrayal of what it means to be human. To be human is to be made in God's likeness and image. It's not to be God himself. It's to relate to God in intimate, personal, powerful ways, not to be him. It's a betrayal of what it means to be human. Here's what's wild. I think we would all agree, like, pride's not good. 
But what's crazy is our, our country like celebrates pride. It's June, right? Our culture says that this month is Pride Month. And some of you are like, oh God, is he gonna go there? <laughs> Hear me. The LGBTQ community is not the only ones who choose and celebrate pride. Don't get me wrong, it's overt and obvious. But we Christians, who? Ooh. We choose pride all the time. We fall into pride all the time. Friends, pride is so destructive, man. It's so destructive. Not just for the LGBT community. It's destructive for all people. The elevation of self. It's a betrayal of what it means to be human. That's what pride does in us. No wonder things are disintegrating all around us. It's because we all give in to the temptation from the enemy. The original, original sinner has been tempting every single human being for all of eternity. Elevate yourself. Elevate yourself. Elevate yourself. You'll be satisfied if you elevate yourself. It's a lie. Right? So Satan, he chose pride, right? And if you know the story, the book of Revelation talks about how a third of the angels in heaven, they join Satan in his rebellion, in his, let's elevate ourselves. Pride. And what happens is God casts them all out of heaven. Those, those angels that, that, that uh, joined in with Satan's rebellion, that's what the Bible refers to as demons. It's real. The unseen realm. The powers and principalities. Listen. What determines a holy angel from a demonic angel? Pride. Pride. Can I just caution you? I felt the, did I feel like the weight of the Spirit of God in my life with this one? Huge. It's so easy to identify in everybody else, isn't it? Good Lord. It's actually really challenging to identify it in yourself. That's why we desperately need each other. We desperately need people in our lives who love us enough to tell us that our fly's down. <laughs> There's a booger hanging out of our nose. There's something stuck in our teeth. We're arrogant in our pride. Can I just caution you? Guard your heart, friend. Do whatever you gotta do. Guard your heart against pride. Why? Because it will destroy you and destroy the people around you. It's a betrayal of what it means to be human, made in the image and likeness of God. And man, oh man, are we all, all susceptible to the temptation. So, again, I can't, I can't not touch on this, but you gotta understand, like, we're living in the middle of a war. Like, whether we want to admit it or not, whether, trust me, man, arrogance is bliss. 
I'm all about it. Like, I don't want to think about it more. I just want to be comfortable, right? Do you want to be comfortable? I don't want to think about, like, opposing spiritual forces that want to, like, ruin my life and tempt me to ruin my life and ruin the lives of the people around me. Like, I don't want to think about that. But it's true. Again, like ripping off another pastor, I heard a pastor talk about how Christianity is not a, it's not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. But we treat it like a cruise ship. Like, this is going to make my life better and more comfortable. And following Jesus is, like, going to literally, like, mean that nothing bad's gonna happen to me because no, that's like religion. The reality is that we're living in the middle of a war, right? There's these unseen forces in opposition to God and his people. I'm tired of it. I'll be honest with you. It's probably, it's, ah, gosh, it might be the most frustrating part of my life. Well, certainly one of the things I struggle with the most is the amount of opposition that just continually comes at me and my family. I'm over it. I'm frustrated by it. Allow me to just vent for a moment. But I had this thought recently, and I really feel like it was the Spirit of the Lord. If you don't have opposition, that's not a good thing. Think about the implications here. If you don't have opposition, what does that mean? That means you're not a threat. And if you're not a threat, that means you're dangerously close to being an ally. None of us in a million years would say like, yeah, I'm an ally of Satan and his de- demonic fallen angels. No. But how often do we give in to the desires of the flesh and do Satan's bidding? We can see how the effect that it has on other people. They can see the pride in us. Prioritizing our preferences all the while stiff-arming God's presence? I know I'm not the only one. But praise God for his spirit of conviction that shows us, that shines light on those dark places, that gives us people, gives us the church, people in our life who can go, you're in danger. You're in danger. And praise God for the blood of Jesus who washes away every single sin of pride for all who will receive it. That requires humility, which is the antithesis of pride. Yeah, if you don't feel opposition, that's not good. But here, guys, remember, what's the passage saying? Everything. Everything was created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. That means all things depend on him, yet not all things serve him. And that same truth, it applies to people, does it not? All people depend on him, yet not all people serve him. Think about that for a second and behold God while you do it. How patient is he with us? Good Lord. It's it's a miracle that lightning has not eviscerated all of us every moment of the day. Because all of us elevate ourselves. All of us join in Satan's rebellion, give in to the temptation, to pride, which is a rebellion against him, which is literally like, thanks, Lord, I'll take it from here. I'll take the crown, I'll take the throne, I'll take the scepter. How patient is he, huh? How faithful to the unfaithful. How loving, how kind, how generous. 
can you just behold him for a second? Like, actually look at him. No shame. Yeah, we're guilty, but no shame. Maybe there's some things this morning that, maybe, some, maybe you need some guilt kind of broken off of you this morning. Maybe you need some shame washed off of you this morning. It's not about being in denial. It's not about denying your sin, denying your pride, so that you can just feel a little bit better about yourself and you can put the mask on so other people think you're, you're more holy than you are. It's not about that. It's about beholding him for who he is. And it's from that place that you can discern who you really are and allow him to determine and to dictate your true value. Because if it comes from how you perform, you're just, as, you're just as out of luck as me. How patient is the Lord. Okay, I got one more thing, one more verse, almost done. Verse 17. Jesus is before all things, and by him all things hold together. This one blows my mind. Meditate on that one for a little while, okay? So God, we talked about God being this creative creator, right? Now, this truth that by him all things hold together, I love how creative of a creator he is. It's written into creation all around you. Like, things that you can't explicitly see, yet it's devastating if they're removed. All of you have a skeleton inside your body, right? Can you explicitly see those bones? No, they're covered, right? <laughs> Consider for a moment your body with the bones removed. <laughs> like it just... <laughs> <laughs> if you remove the bones from your body, it falls apart. Right? What about gravity? At first, your mind just went to, oh, I'd float in the air. That'd be kind of fun. Take it a step further. <laughs> right? If, if gravity is removed... Everything just disintegrates. It falls apart, right? Listen, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. And the reason is because of the one who created it. It's all a sign. You know what signs do? They point to things. If you remove Jesus from any part of creation, if you remove Jesus from any part of your life, it falls apart. Like, I know we'd all say, yeah, amen to that. Think about it. You remove Jesus from your calendar. You remove Jesus from your wallet. You remove Jesus from your friendships. You remove Jesus from your marriage. You remove Jesus from your parents. And you remove Jesus from your vacation, from your rest, from your replenishment from your creative outlet, when you remove Jesus from life, from creation, hear me, it falls apart. And it might, it might not look like it does right away. But when you look back, you'll see the disintegration. Guys, we see this happening all around us. I'm short on time, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna not spend too much time on this, but like poverty God, I did stats. I, I've looked at stats. Almost 10% of the world 
lives on less than $2.15 a day. That's just under 800 million people. What could you do with $2.15 a day? That's like 60, 70 bucks a month. That's what's known as extreme poverty, but there's various levels of poverty, right? All of them are horrible. Almost two billion people live in impoverished conditions and dire circumstances, according to different agencies. That word dire just means urgent, as in if something doesn't happen right away, it's gonna be real bad. Two billion people. like, poverty is not like, oh man, I, I rent my house, I don't own it. Poverty is like, I don't have access to clean water or food. So many people, guys. Yet Jesus was, I mean, he had such a heart for the poor. Like, served the poor, prioritized the poor. But hear me, poverty doesn't exist without removing Jesus from the equation. Poverty cannot exist on the planet if you remove Jesus, without removing Jesus from the equation. Poverty doesn't exist without greed and its various flavors, which is removing Jesus from the equation. Things fall apart when you remove Jesus from the equation. Look around. There's so much abusive authority, not just in America, around the world, not just in government and politics, but in every level of influence and authority. So much abuse of authority. Things fall apart when you remove Jesus from the equation. We talked about this last week. How does Jesus use his authority? He uses his authority for the benefit of other people, to serve them, to see them flourish. That's why authority exists in the kingdom, right? I mean, so much brokenness and stuff around sexuality, around gender, around racism, the list goes on. Things fall apart when you remove Jesus from the equation. All right, I'm, I'm a minute over according to my clock, so I'm going to call the band up. Will you guys come up and join me? Uh, Vinny, are you here? Will you just, just play behind me a little bit? Thank you, dude. By the way, that's not to manipulate you with music. That's actually a form of praise. It's in the Bible. I'll explain it to you in more depth if you want. God does things. You guys doing okay? Cool. All right. Um, so as I was praying through this and praying through what God might be up to in some of our lives and the things that he wants to do, the, the renewal that he wants to bring, the, the healing he wants to bring, the deliverance that he wants to bring, the forgiveness that he wants to bring, the reconciliation that he wants to bring, all the things, the ways that God wants to bring more of his kingdom in our lives, here's the things that really stood out to me. And I think that the things that really stood out to me are for us, for you. I believe... I believe that there are some of us in the room where pride is getting the best of you. I think for some of you, you know it, which is a great first step. You feel it, you know it, you don't want it, but you're realizing, gosh, this is happening in my life. Others of you are blind to it. You don't see it. If you don't see it, just hear me. I'm saying this in humility because I'm just as jacked up as you. 
If you don't see it, it's more dangerous. Some of you, pride's getting the best of you, okay? Here's how you know. You know if you're thinking about you, like me, I'm thinking about me more than I'm thinking about almost anything else. You know what's happening in you when it's just like life is oriented around your preferences. In the process, we stiff-arm God's presence. My wants over God's wants, I choose me over you, that kind of thing. If that's you, I want to encourage you with something. I feel like the Lord has something for you in this. I feel like he wants to deliver you. It's like he wants you to experience the freedom that you have in Christ. What do you do? Thank you from that space. Here's what you do. You behold God in Jesus. You give him your attention. You look at him. Undivided, unwavering attention. He's so patient with us. We talked about it already. If you find yourself in that space, pride's getting the best of you. Look at him for who he is. He's patient. He's caring. He's faithful. Hear me. He's sacrificial towards you, towards me, the very ones that rebel against him in pride. And he invites us to repent, to turn away from it, to basically hand God back his crown and thrive as a human, not rebel against God and go, I'll do it, thank you. I'll wear the crown, I'll sit on the throne. Some of you, I think the gateway to your happiness, the gateway to your joy, the gateway to your freedom is to actually receive forgiveness for pride. Taste it. It's humbling, but oh, it tastes so sweet. Ebony, Ebony prayed it this morning. She got choked up by it, and I think it's appropriate. The love of the Father for you and for me to sacrifice his son so that you and I could be forgiven for the ways that we resist him and reject him and rebel against him. There's something wrong with us when that doesn't move us emotionally, like actually captivate our heart. And so often in my life, there's moments when it doesn't captivate me when I'm numb. And do you want to know why I'm numb? And it's probably the same for you. It's because of what I'm beholding. Anything and everything other than the beauty and the glory and the greatness of the God who does spectacular things with his fingers. Some of you, pride's getting the best of you. Others of you, you are oppressed. The moment I started talking about those demonic beings that are in opposition to God and his people, you're like, that's my life. I feel it all the time. It's hard. It's a struggle. It totally sucks. Like the opposition's coming at you. Can I encourage you as well? Behold God in Jesus. In the midst of the opposition, look at him. Satan's over here saying, did God really say? Does he really love you? Is he really powerful? If he was so loving and powerful, why would he let this happen to you?
behold God in Jesus. He's supreme. There's no higher rank. All things, everything through him, for him. Nothing and no one ranks higher than him. And that highest ranking, most supreme one, cares about you so much in such a way that he would sacrifice his very own son for you so that you could be free from that. And ultimately, the day is coming when all that opposition, all that suffering as a result is gone for good. And the only reason he hasn't ended it yet, like today, is because of how patient and how committed and how passionate he is about the loss that has not yet come to know his love. Look at him. I'll leave you with an encouragement. First Peter chapter five. Those of you that are oppressed, listen to this, okay? This brought me so much comfort. This has brought me so much comfort, guys. I know I'm, I guess we're okay on time. Just to be candid, I feel like Satan's hunting me. Like I'm not joking. All the time. Like I feel it. To the point where I'm like, I reach out to friends, I'm like, guys, I, I, I can't, this is bigger than me, man. I feel like the target on my back, guys, is so big. And those of you that are experiencing oppression, you know the feeling I'm talking about. But I feel like it's so big. Um, literally this week, I'm driving up to the camping trip and there were so many things that, that got in the way for me personally with that, but I'm so grateful I got to go, even for a couple days. But literally, I'm, I'm struggling and battling and praying through all these ways that God's oppressing me, or not God, the way that Satan's oppressing me and my family and all the things. And you guys, my, my church family, and literally um, a woman in one of our sister churches in LA, she sends me a voice memo and she's like, hey, I, I haven't, I had this really crazy dream about you um, and I haven't shared with you because it's kind of dark. And she's like, but I feel like God was like, you have to tell him. So she's been delaying for almost a year telling me this. And, and she said that she's had this dream about, um, she saw me, it was really dark. And she's like, I was on my knees and my hands were tied behind my back and I'm just screaming. And this car kept backing up and trying to hit me. And it would just barely miss. And it would back up and try to kill me and back up and try to kill me. And guys, I cannot tell you. She goes, she goes, but in all of it, you were protected. That might sound silly to you. That might sound really dark to you. It is. But when she shared that with me, I shared it with Ebony, and we both were just like, it ministered to us in a deep and profound way because I'm like, that's, that's putting language to how I feel most days. Do you know what it helped me do? It helped me look at him again. It helped me behold him in the middle of the darkness with Satan trying to kill me all the time. My protector. It might be dark. It might be scary. But the Lord is my fortress. I won't back down. Not because I'm amazing, not, but no. Not because of self-elevated pride, but because of him. He's my protector. He's my fortress. He's my refuge. 
her dream, as dark as it sounded, it helped us behold the Lord. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 11. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Don't be ignorant. Don't be naive. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him. In other words, don't take the pride bait. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, listen to this, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray that over you. As I prayed over me, that, him, that God himself would restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Will you stand with me if you're able? Let me pray for us. And then, Lise, will you be ready to come up and share some stuff? Okay. Father, I pray for every single one of us in the room. I pray for the distracted in the room. I pray for the desperate in the room. I pray for the downcast, the melancholy, the depressed in the room. I pray for those in the room who are like alive right now and they're thriving because they can see you. I pray for every single one of us. And I ask that you yourself, by the power of your spirit, would restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish every single one of us in Christ that as, we, as you give us eyes to behold you, to see you clearly for who you are, that transformation would begin to take place, that we'd become more like you. Unwavering in our faith, devoted in our love, passionate in our worship, man, because you're worthy. Make us a priesthood. Make us men and women who orient our lives around beholding you. Help us to see Jesus clearly so that we might encounter and, 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 and fill our mind with the greatness of God Almighty. We honor you. We bless you. Help us, we pray. Amen.